0: Hey, what's up, everyone? My name is Zach Olinger. In this podcast series, I talk about relationships. Now, I know, as a man, you may not want to talk about relationships. Or you may even tell me that the relationship that you're in is already pretty good. But I'm going to invite you to consider this. Could you be a little bit more fulfilled in the relationship that you have? I would like to have you consider that there may be other ways to kind of see the conflicts that are truly just unnecessary that we all experience in a different light. And if you're open to receiving or just giving me a little bit of your time, then I look forward to my guests and I inspiring you to become a man that can have more freedom, less conflict, and more pleasure in their relationships. Thanks for joining me.
1: Hey, everybody. Thanks for joining me on another episode of The Real Zach Olinger. Today, my guest is Diana Alt, and she is a career strategy coach on a mission to help you be the boss of your career so that you can find your ideal work, be valued, and get paid. She's a connector who uses her experience in the corporate product development roles as a business owner to help people make the most of their work life instead of feeling like it's a long, slow march to oblivion. Today, Diana is going to talk to us about how if you're an employee that is looking for growth and feeling stuck, she'll speak to how to manage that, navigate that piece. And then also if you're a boss or anyone in a work relationship, how to communicate and navigate situations where there may be differences of opinions without damaging the relationship. So with that, I'd love to introduce Diana. Thank you so much for being a guest.
2: Oh, Zach, thank you so much. I appreciate finally getting to meet you after finding you in the Let's Find Podcast Guest Club on Facebook. Yes. Um, I really love that you are doing a show about relationships because there's not enough of them. We talk about how to make money. We talk about all kinds of other things, but um, or at least I listen to a lot of business podcasts. And so anything that gravitates towards how relationships impact that is basis for me. So, thank you so much. It's important stuff. So, uh, I appreciate you. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. You're welcome. So, how you want to? Uh, uh, how you want to kick this thing off? Do you want to like go through the two scenarios that I talked about? Yeah. What do you want to do here? Yeah, let's go so, cool with
1: that. So yeah, let's just start talking about um, you know, like you said before, um, like if we can start with uh, you know, if you're an employee that's feeling stuck and looking for growth, and I think that's an important piece too. Cause I think a lot of yeah, people feel that. I know that I've certainly felt that in previous roles that I've had. So if that's where you'd like to go or start, let's let's
2: go there. Yeah. Yeah. I love I I love that topic so much. It's one of I've been a career coach for about seven years and I've done 20 years in corporate IT, so I was product manager and project manager, those kind of roles that always had like half technology and half people, which is sort of what led me into now my coaching and uh, my career in business coaching that I do. Um, The top, for the last 15 years or so, whenever I read any survey or article about why people are dissatisfied with work or why they leave jobs, there are two things that come up. One of them is you have a bad relationship with your boss. And the second is that there's no room to grow or the employee feels like there is no room to grow within the company. And so my topics I wanted to hit with you today hit both of those. The first one is sort of a mashup of how do you tell your boss that you want to grow without damaging the relationship with your boss, but also not being a victim. There's so many different things that are that are lined up in there. And I've actually created a framework for it that I work with people. I've done some webinars and things like that. So um, it's a really exciting thing because we make it harder than it has to be. We make it a lot harder than it has to be. Have you experienced that? um, I know you're kind of doing, you're doing your own thing and you you have an IT career too though, so. Mm you ever run across that? Tell, tell me a little bit about one of those.
1: Situations. Yeah. I would say that, um, making things harder than, than they need to be, I think is something that we're, we're all pretty professionals at. you know, a lot of us <laughs> just kind of do for that. for sure. <laughs> In any, um, any given area of our life. Um, yeah. As far as, um, like asking for, um, like wanting to do something different um, or kind of grow within a role um, and having any difficulty with that. I am trying to think, um, I think I've been rather fortunate. What, I, what comes to my mind is that like, I, I haven't necessarily, how do I want to say, what comes up is like how much I valued myself as far as my pay. I don't, I don't know if I've had so much difficulty like pers- like going up to my supervisor or superior and being like, look, I want to do this. What I could see is not necessarily like being aware that I necessarily wanted to do that. Um, you know
2: oh, and- that's and- like, that's a really yeah. interesting thing because sometimes like that's a whole different. That's Mm -hmm. a different topic and maybe if we have time, we can talk about that too. But um, that's almost like the relationship with your job. You know, like as individuals, we have a relationship with our job. I just did a webinar earlier today about, you know, is it time to leave your job? And so put a pin in that, we'll see how the schedule lays out. Maybe we'll talk about that too, or I can come back. Mm -hmm. So with the boss or with the growth thing, um, what ends up happening for people is, that, you know, one of the top two reasons in all those surveys, like I said, is always lack of opportunity for growth. Um, And so what ends up happening is because our day-to-day agenda at work is about getting stuff done. So it is about what is, you know, what's the project? Are we going to hit the deadline? What's the sales quitter? Are we going to do that? You know, did we fix the bugs that the customer reported in the software? It's the thing, it is the stuff. And so we get this idea whether fair or not that all our boss wants us to do is the thing that we're currently doing unless they come to us and everybody's busy because for however many stupid emails and meetings that we don't want to do that are coming up for us they probably have 10 times more because they're the boss right Mm -hmm. so what i um created for a couple of my clients that were really struggling with this people that came to me for career coaching and they sort of wanted to look for a job, but sort of not because they liked their company. They just didn't like their job anymore. Mm. Went through and created and documented a framework for them. And if anybody wants to get like the worksheet for this that has sort of Mad Libs about how to have this conversation, you can email me at diana at I'm happy to pass it along to you. The first thing you have to do whenever you wanna grow in your career is actually figure out what that means. Because very often you get frustrated and you say you can't grow, but you don't even know what it means. Or you think of it only in very conventional terms. So I'm a person that has never viewed a career as a ladder. I think of it as a rock wall. So I don't actually do rock climbing, but I know a little bit about it. We all watched some of that rock climbing stuff on Peacock during the Olympics the last couple of weeks. And the thing with a rock wall is sometimes you're going up And then sometimes you have to go sideways and sometimes you may even have to go a little bit what feels like back. But if you can define what it means to grow for yourself first, before you even talk to anybody, it's going to work out best. So I have a client right now that is working in sort of like a mid-level tech and customer support type role. She is very, she has a background in human resources from before she had kids, a really strong interest in doing anything proactively. And so she actually does, you know, she's created some processes for some proactive customer service within her company, but she was getting bored and did not know how to talk to her boss about this. So the first thing we did was some work to figure out what does it even mean to grow? Are you wanting to be a supervisor? Are you wanting to transfer to a different department? Um, what does that look like for you? And so she got clear on that. And we also got clear on for what she's doing, where her pay sits compared to market and figured out that she was you know, underpaid some too. So she had both a, I need more challenge, which may mean a job title. It may not mean, mean a job title. For some people, it just means, can I do a different project, a different kind of project? for her, it was like, I need more challenge. I want to use certain strengths and talents that I have. And I want to use certain skills more and then delegate some other things. Those were the things that she crafted for herself. And she also knew that she wanted to get um, her pay increased. So she got clear on that. From there, then she thought about, what am I hearing where this could possibly be a win-win with the company? Because if you just walk in and say, boss, you gotta promote me to senior whatever and give me a $5 an hour raise or else, that's not gonna go well. So she spent some time listening to her boss and thinking about conversations and realized, oh my gosh, my boss does know we need more administrative help. She's overwhelmed by trying to coordinate stuff. I need to position myself as, what if I'm more of a project coordinator, which would be worth more money. So once she got that straight in her head, the next step is to think about when is the right time to talk to the boss? So uh, we're here in Kansas City. You live close to me, which is amazing. Maybe sometime we'll have to meet in person. Um, H&R Block, major employer in town, right? Are you gonna go to your boss and ask about a promotion smack in the middle of tax season if you work for H&R Block? That's a no. Right. It's a no. So, you're going to think about what is going on and when is a good time to ask. So, um, my client figured out what is a good time in the business cycle to actually go have a conversation. And then she followed the following scripts to get the meeting because that's another thing. Well, my boss won't schedule the meeting. Well, you schedule the meeting. So, she decided she knows what she wants. She knows some win win. She scheduled a meeting with her boss by going to the boss and saying, Hey, boss, I'm really thinking a lot about my career growth, and I want to discuss how I can grow within Acme Corporation. I'll be setting up a meeting within the next two weeks for us to discuss that, okay? And a lot of people hear that, and they're like, mind blown, I can't do that. You can request a meeting with your boss. The Mm -hmm. boss might say, can we do this during your one-on-one, or that day isn't good, but you have to be willing to take the bull by the horns. And she did very respectfully, went to find a time that worked for the boss, but she led it. And then when she got into the meeting, the conversation became, hey boss, or hello Mary, I would like to grow my career within this company. I've been thinking about it a lot and I really would like to use skill X and skill Y to serve the team. I also would like to see a path to compensation that's in line with the market rate. Ideally, we would make some changes within the next six months. What are your thoughts? So that's kind of the framework. What do you you wanna grow? What are a couple of ways you wanna grow? And what is the timeline that you wanna see change? It could be two weeks, it could be two years, it could be something in the middle. You get to decide those things. Once you say that piece, you do the most important thing. Shut up and listen Mm -hmm. and don't threaten and recognize that you have just opened a conversation where you're in the driver's seat and then move on. So that right there is how you open the conversation. And then from there, you try to give grace to your boss who might have to think about how you fit Might have to consult with HR. It might take a few months and then follow up persistently, but not obnoxiously. And it works like a charm. I've done this many times. It took me a while to write it down,
3: Mm -hmm.
2: you know, because you've done it. Mm -hmm. I, I have had several jobs and it seems like I'm constantly, I worked at Cerner for almost five years. And I had four different roles in five years because either someone came to me and said, I think you'd be good at this. Or I went to my boss and said, it's time for me to do something different. But Mm -hmm. I've I've personally used this and guided clients to use it for over 10 years. And and that's how you do it. If you do it correctly, you end up with something that's more challenging um, or you quickly figure out that your company doesn't actually want you to grow. And you know that your answer is no, this is not the right place for me. And then you can move on. So mm-hmm. that was a big, long story about that, but we can unpack it more. You can ask questions, whatever makes sense. I just think that the biggest mistake people make is they're too chicken to have the conversation to begin with. So,
1: yeah, no, that's uh there was a lot of really good stuff in there for sure. I like, um, just not, not having the, not being afraid of taking the initiative. Cause I think, I think that's a really big piece and there's a lot of big pieces in there, but that's definitely one. Cause like, yeah, like the manager, supervisor, boss whoever is above you, yeah. you know, is going to be busy with their own stuff. And um, yeah, if you're asking them to do you a favor, it's not that they don't want to, it's just that like, w- it's kind of like asking somebody to go to the store for you. Like if you want to go get something and it's kind of like, well, if you need it, like if it's on your, if it's on your timetable, like go it's get kind of, your own Doritos. Yeah. Like, yeah it's what? kind of like it, it, it's in your responsibility. So go ahead and, and take ownership yes. of that, you know? And so, yes. Um, there's nothing to be afraid of regarding
2: that. And yeah, I, I love that point too, because one of the, one of the, it, the whole thing about going to the store and like I said, go get your own damn Doritos. Um, Mm -hmm. So the point about that, there's a couple of powerful points about that. One of which is that you, if you do this in a really self-serving way, you end up being like the jerk that says, well, you go to the store while I'm sitting watching Netflix. Like why your leg's not broke? Like why do you not go take care of yourself? but at the same time, you do you need to take the bull by the horns. But if you make it win-win, then it's more like going to the store together, you know? Right.
1: right. Okay. What, oh,
2: we need dinner. Right. And we're out of ideas. Let's go ro- roam around Hy-Vee for 15 minutes and figure out what we're going to have for dinner. I know you don't like chicken, so like we're not going to mess with chicken, but let's go check out the seafood section. So I really like all of that because people are straight up afraid. I gave a presentation on this recently and it was with a group of really like surprisingly direct and sassy people, but that were afraid to talk to their
3: boss. (laughs) So
2: there was a woman that, um, and we actually opened the Q and A so people could talk like a lot of webinars, you just type it into the go to meeting or whatever. That was not how this one went. And this woman said, you can't do that. And I said, well, I got like four promotions and like, $11,000 worth of raises doing that. So I think you can do that. But her point was that, who are you to tell the boss that you're going to schedule a meeting? And I Mm -hmm. said, well, you know, there is some nuance here and you do have to adjust some things to be comfortable. So if you feel more comfortable saying, boss, this is really important to me. Can we schedule a meeting sometime within the next two weeks? That is a little bit of a different tone than what I do. I just lay it out.
3: Mm-hmm. So are you into,
2: do you know, are you into the Enneagram at all?
1: Oh, why does this sound fest? familiar? Okay. Yes. It's the thank number, you. Thank you. the, thank the you. one with
2: the numbers. So um, I'm, I'm an Enneagram eight. I'm the challenger and I'm going to get in your face. That's okay. just kind of how that's how if that's your personality type and you want to soften it a little bit that's fine Mm -hmm. but there's a difference between softening an approach to suit your personality um and abandoning ship Mm -hmm. so feel free to adjust a little bit and if your boss says two weeks doesn't work I'm out of I'm on vacation can we do it in three weeks cool you've at least opened the conversation so
1: yeah and I like, I like the, like, yeah, the point that it's, it's a relationship, you know, it's so different than any other relationship of like with your kids or with your spouse or somebody like in your, in your family, like just because they are in a position of quote unquote authority within the um, like system of a, of a corporation or, or business in that type of relationship doesn't mean that you, that you don't have any type of recourse or your own authority. It doesn't mean that you're subservient totally all the way. Like agree. We, we abdicate so much of our personal authority in those situations. I think largely out of fear. Um because yes. we we are afraid that if we bring up something that is gonna serve us, then it might like like create this instability you know like it creates right. this giant unknown and so because the, there's so much unknown we don't know they we don't know how the boss is going to respond we don't know what the outcome might be and holy yes. shit what if i get fired or like whatever like yeah. what if i get reprimanded yeah. like, and there's all of this stuff and it's like fuck man like <laughs> relax oh i love these, on
2: this podcast Yay, yeah i love it i'm a yeah. little bit sweary like sarcasm is my second language and cursy words is my third language so Um, no, I'm completely with you Mm -hmm. on all of that. Abdicating your responsibility for your own life. Not cool. Right. Bad idea. Yes. Bad idea. The other thing that I find so interesting in some of these, um, workplace dynamics, I've done it myself, by the way, like I, I'm actually a much nicer person and better leader. And if I, after working for myself full-time for two years, I think if I choose to go back to the workforce, I'm gonna be a much better employee and a much better leader because I, all you can, all I do is wrestle with myself all day, Mm -hmm. right? But we are starved for company, leader, boss, team members, customers that treat us like human beings. We just wanna be treated with dignity and respect like human beings. But the minute I hear somebody talk about their boss that they're fearful of, for some reason, they depersonalize their boss. Mm -hmm. So it's like, well, you want to be treated like a human being that has a right to have needs and want to grow in your career, but you're going to demonize your boss and say, F it, I'm going to go look for another job. You don't even get a chance to try to make this better for me. I'm I'm not even willing to try to have a conversation with you so that this can be better. Mm -hmm. Like that's, that's not, that's not cool. Right. And And I'm a big believer that any information that you get out of that conversation, even if it's negative, like, nope, I don't think you're good at that. Nope, not going to be a place. Nope. I don't think your performance is good enough. Nope. I just don't effing like you Mm -hmm. or yes, we're going to do it. And then they string you along for you. All of that is just information that tells you Mm -hmm. what you need to do in the future. Mm -hmm. So.
1: That's a very, that's a very valid point. Yeah. On, on all of those accounts there, the, the first one being about, um, you know, depersonalizing and demonizing and like not giving the person, even the opportunity to, to work with you. It's kind of like in, in, in personal relationships, it would be like breaking up with somebody because they are a certain way in the hopes that, you know, you go find somebody who's Who's another way. And so like, if they, just to put this in, like th- in the context of like masculine and feminine, like a lot of guys will leave a woman because like uh, of the way that she expresses herself or something like that. And like, oh, she's crazy. And then like go to another woman only like a year later to find out like, oh, she's crazy too. And it's like, dude, what you're doing is you're totally misunderstanding like what you're dealing with and like what's coming to you and like right. what, what it really is. And you're trying to like not find that in a woman or something like that. And it's kind of like, right. that's that's the nature of the thing. So it's like leaving a boss to like, I'm going to go find a boss that I don't demonize, only to demonize the next boss and then the next boss. Yeah, and, your the next problem, boss. and it's like,
3: yeah. <laughs> the, problem,
2: the problem is that, so, well, a lot of times with that, there's a pro- one of the things I've seen with that, with people, especially if they, you know, kind of job hop around or have, have a lot of trouble with bosses is that there's this deep part of them that wants to do something drastically different like, sometimes it's to be an entrepreneur and just fuck the man. Like I'm done. You know, that's not about whether your boss is good or bad, or you're good or bad. That is about a deep desire that you have that you're not acknowledging. So it makes everything else not work. Mm -hmm. So, um, and you know, I told you before we started the call, like I'm what my friend Kelly calls new woo. She's woo woo. She likes the crystals and the energy and the does readings and I don't even understand all that. Although she did take me to the rock shop in Nashville and I bought some crystals a month ago. (laughs) But I do believe that the universe tells us stuff
3: Mm -hmm.
2: and the universe whispers in our ear that something is not right. And if we do not listen, it whispers louder. Mm -hmm. And then if you don't listen, it talks and then eventually it yells at you. And so usually if you have some sort of growth desire, that's the whispering that's coming up. And if you don't go try to do something about it, it's going to talk and it's going to yell. And the way that the universe yells is you get increasingly more and more frustrated because you wanted to grow. You never talked about it or you let somebody string you along for years, promising you a promotion or whatever. And then you freaking snap one day and say, F it, I'm done. And you take your, you quit without notice, or you snap at the wrong person and you end up being demoted or something like that. That's the universe um,
3: yelling at you.
2: So I had a situation where I was working a job and I was I mean, it took, when I ultimately left, it took two and a half people to replace the work that I'd done. I had allowed them to overwork me for way, way, way too long. And um, the way that the universe yelled is a promotion that I was expecting didn't happen. And there was excuses given and really what it is, I mean, in retrospect, the, it wasn't the right role for me anymore. And there was a leader that was just not, I mean, I had a leadership change and it was clear that the rest of the leadership and the new leader was just not, this is not gonna work. Gotcha. But the thing that broke the camel's back was finding out that the promotion for the role that I had literally been doing for a year and a half and it wasn't gonna happen. And I finally said, we're done. Mm-hmm. And I gave notice, and I gave notice with no job to go work for myself, because that is the thing that was inside me that I wanted to try. At the time, I I was uh, 40. How old? I can't math. I was 44 at the time. Mm-hmm. And I decided I didn't want to hit 50, not having tried, even if I failed, and I needed to go back to work. Mm-hmm. I needed to listen to myself. So um, and I'd had a lot of the growth conversations and things with a prior boss and thought it was going all right. I didn't handle some of it as gracefully as I could have, because by the time I even got to those conversations, like it was really loud talking, not yelling yet, but it was really loud talking. So, you know, it was kind of like a path that was not going to be for me anyway, but you know, that's, that's where we were like, mm-hmm. it's time to do something different. So
1: oh, I like that. Yeah. That's, that's all true I've I've experienced things like that too, where it starts off as a, as like you say, a whisper and then it gets louder and then it gets to a point where like, there's no,
2: you can't ignore this you anymore. You can't, you can't
1: ignore it. Yeah. It's very true. You and, can't. I, and I love that you took the, you had the courage to be like, I, and I nothing remember. nothing to go into and just do it.
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, I had been sort of thinking about it for a while. So effectively I made a jump like maybe a year or two earlier than I would have. But I remember talking to my mom and my pa- My dad's been dead for 10 years, 11 years, but my mom and dad both were in really secure. Um, they were educators. They worked the same place for decades. They had contracts. Like that's what I grew up in. So, this mm-hmm. corporate that you and I have gone through, where people switch jobs co- kind of a lot, it's no, no security other than your own skills and your ability to market yourself. Um, it was really, different for me but I called my mom telling her I'm gonna do this and it she said good I was like what and she goes you've been miserable for a long time and if you would have gotten what you thought you were gonna get you would have felt like you had to stay there for two or three years because now you got the promotion and then you would have just had two or three years more where you were comfortable but miserable you know, yep. financially comfortable, spiritually miserable. So, you know, um, my mom is a wise woman. She doesn't know any industry, but she's wise.
1: Yep, so. I think I think that's a good thing to call out on all the relationships of any type too, because a lot of us, I I believe that we're kind of just taught and modeled that if we're comfortable, um, even if we're miserable, as long as we're comfortable, then that's that's what we're going for, you know? And it's kind of like,
2: yeah, no. no. (laughs) That's not, that's not great. You know, it's funny because so many of the things that we think of as being, you know what I want to be comfortable? My recliner. (laughs) Right. (laughs) I would like my bed to be comfortable. I would like my recliner to be comfortable. I would like, there was, there was actually a, the president of a, of a company that I used to work for had a phrase that he talked about a lot of healthy anxiety. Hmm. So um, healthy anxiety, he would talk about. And I thought it was such an interesting distinction because at one point he, he actually was president of our company. And then he got an offer to go work for someplace else. Uh, And I think it might've been a CEO role, You know, like you're turning a president CEO. So he was finally gonna make that leap. And then, uh, and it was even announced to a pretty large organization like Brian Kelly is leaving. And then not very long later, it turned out Brian Kelly was not leaving because he decided not to take the other job. And the reason that he cited is that he loved to go into a new position under healthy anxiety, but he realized he was actually having unhealthy anxiety about it. Mm. And I think, you know, I don't know what goes on in the boardroom. It seemed like maybe our company had wanted to retain him as well. So the planets aligned and, but he ended up staying for another year or so before he found some, you know, better situation. I'm not exactly sure what he's doing now, but I found it so interesting that distinction between healthy anxiety with your work and unhealthy anxiety with your work. Because what we're trained to do is avoid anxiety. We're not trained to distinguish what is the source of the discomfort. Is the source of the discomfort because there's something morally or ethically wrong? Is the source of discomfort that you have the capability to do things that are two clicks higher than where you're at right now and you've been asked to do five clicks higher and you don't have support, that is cause for unhealthy anxiety. But if you get asked to do the two clicks higher that you never did, that could be healthy anxiety. Does that make sense?
1: Totally, absolutely makes sense, yeah. Yeah, and I
2: definitely have had some stuff where uh, I've definitely had the two clicks, man, sometimes even three, and it is not comfortable, but it is always rewarding. And I I did a really good job of chasing it the first few years of my career. So I did some cool stuff pretty early on. You know, I remember people looking at my resume going, you couldn't have done all that in five years at a certain, that I told you I worked at Cerner and I was there for almost five years. They're like, you couldn't have done that. I'm like, but I did. Right. <laughs> so, but I did because about every four or five months, somebody was throwing another click of challenge on top of me. And it was just enough that I could do it.
3: So nice.
2: Yeah, Yeah. and then there's entrepreneuring, which is the whole, that's like 142 clicks
3: (laughs) higher, but it's still fun, yeah.
2: (laughs) So what's the other topic I said we we should talk about? Feedback, was that the thing?
1: Yeah, navigating, yes, feedback without damaging relationships, yeah. Mm -hmm.
2: Okay, so this is actually a lot simpler than the whole growth conversation, um, at least in concept. So one of the, I, I read a book, there's two books that I read and I'm pretty sure by the same author and you know, how you read them right in a row and you're like, Mm -hmm. I don't know which was in
3: which which book, but I'm pretty (laughs)
2: sure. So there's a book called radical candor and it is by a woman named Kim Scott, who has been an executive in some pretty high up tech companies. So she's basically like the very, very intelligent woman trying to make it in the boys club of Silicon Valley which is already a fun perspective for me anyway. And you, I know you talk a lot about that masculine and feminine energy, so you might really enjoy to read some of Kim Scott's books. But um, one of the things she discusses in Radical Candor is how poor people are at giving feedback, constructive feedback. If it's negative feedback, often it's avoided or delayed so long that it's not meaningful anymore. And in the case of positive feedback, it's so generic that a person doesn't know how to replicate the success. So a really good way uh, framework that's outlined in Radical Candor, but I've seen it other places, too, since then. Um, it just clicked when I read Radical Candor, kind of like when you, you know, you do the times tables in the third grade and you sort of get it. And then you do it again in the fourth grade and you're like, oh, I get it. Right. I know how to multiply now. I mm-hmm. can do this. This is the same thing for me, but the framework is called situation, behavior, impact. Mm. So, um, and it's crafted in a way that you can give very short, very specific feedback that is depersonalized Mm. to someone so that you don't damage the relationship and people actually have something they can do something with.
3: Mm.
2: And when I read about it, it's one of those things where you think, duh, how did you, how have I not known this my whole life? Right. So here's what it looks like. Situation is you articulate what the situation is. Behavior is you state what the behavior that happened was. So you don't assign character traits, you don't bash nothing, it is very factual. And then impact is why did it matter? And one of the most crucial things to know about this is that it's great for both negative feedback and for positive feedback. So let me give you a positive example first. So um, I, have tra- I have a business consulting client in Overland Park. Um, he's a financial advisor and he has an office staff of five. And um, I trained him recently on this because he was formalizing performance reviews and feedback cycle in his business for the first time in 15 years or so that he's owned the business. And he realized he didn't know how to state effective feedback. Mm-hmm. So he had a superstar on his team that he you know, would always say, oh, she does such, such a great job, I'll call her Mary. Um, so I said, you know, do you tell Mary what she does well? And he's like, sure. And then I talked to Mary and she's like, I know he loves my work. I don't really know why when pressed. So the SBI framework takes you from, Mary, you did an awesome job on that client, call, client this week. It takes it from that where there's no information, but kudos and pat on the back and dopamine. It's like hitting the like button on Instagram or Facebook, right? And instead, what you can say is something like, Mary, this week when you handled that very complicated rollover for the new client, you were extremely calm in dealing with the troubles with multiple accounts and in going back and forth with the client to get everything correct. The result is this client has a higher level of trust with us right off the bat than most clients have within the first two years. That is constructive, Yes, but it also only takes like 30 seconds to say, so instead of feeling like to give positive or negative feedback, you have to go and schedule a 30 minute meeting and whatnot. You can say that in the hallway in between meetings. So a negative example, and maybe something that someone could use with a boss so that you don't sound like you're attacking a boss. One of the things that people complain about all the time is when their boss takes credit for their work. Mm -hmm. You know, you'll be in a meeting and the boss will introduce something the team's been working on and doesn't remember to acknowledge. And Joe and Sarah from the team were the ones that came up with the stuff that I'm about to show you, you know, shout out to Joe and Sarah. They forget to do that because they're more concerned with looking good or getting the information. Usually they're concerned with getting the information and the buy-in from the other higher-ups in the room, but it comes across differently. So instead of saying, God, the boss is such a dick. He took credit for my work again, which is what happens in between colleagues. Mm-hmm. Instead, what you can do after a meeting is go to your boss and say, hey, can I have two minutes? And they'll usually say yes. Or they might say, can you, can you check me after lunch? And then you say, um, Tom, in the meeting with the director today, I noticed that you talked through the new process that is so popular now, and you didn't give me and uh, Larry credit for it. And I just want you to know that that makes us feel like you don't really value our work. And it's not great. It's not a great feeling to think that your boss doesn't value your work. So there is some personalization at the end. It's like you came across like you don't value my work. But there's a difference between saying, oh, so and so is a dick. He doesn't value my work. And saying, this is what happened. And the result is, I feel like you don't value my work. You can either even follow that up with, is it true? Did you not like the way that we did it? Or <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> ask yeah. questions to check your sure. understanding. But most of the time, unless you're dealing with the complete ass, they're going to go, oh my God, I forgot. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And they may even send an email out to the people and say, hey, you know what? I forgot to say that, you know, Sarah and Tom did blah, blah, blah. Uh, and they were the main people that came up with the new process. They might do that. They might correct their behavior in the future. They might have another way to try to make it up. But if you do not give them a chance to understand the impact, you're failing in your relationship, you're again, being a hypocrite, not giving your boss an opportunity to acknowledge a mistake or understand something. And if you do it and they keep doing it, that's your message that this is maybe not the boss for you. So, right. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That to me, like (laughs) speaks to like uh, just relationships in general, general too, like in an intimate relationship, it's up to us as our individuals to tell our partners, what our what our needs are you know the, the yeah. pe- people aren't mind readers so we have to take it we have to take responsibility for that if we find yeah. a, a need isn't being met it's on us to communicate that and finding finding a, a way to communicate it in a way that's not like antagonistic but just putting it out there you know yeah innocent, just in a way of being like putting it on the table and finding a way to finesse that but like it's still our responsibility to be like yeah hey, um, this is a thing for me <laughs> and I just want to talk about it and just kind yeah. of see what we can do about it. Um, or like when you're raising kids, like, you know, you've got to set the expectations and like, you know, you say, look, this is this is how, you know, it's a little bit different in that context because you're the one in authority as the parent, but like still it's the-
2: But that, it, that framework works. It, it, yes. it works at every level. Yeah. Because, I, and it's so funny because I, I don't have kids. But there's a, there's a couple of, for whatever reason, sometimes I read like parenting blogs and, mm-hmm. you know, if I see an interesting article because it talks about relationships in a different way.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And so there's a, there's a parenting coach named Drew Tupper that I don't know him well, we're just connected on Facebook. I read some of his stuff and he posts some really thought provoking questions and articles and things. And there was one he put out recently about how we talk to kids. Mm -hmm. Like we will talk to children, like they should know everything. Mm
3: -hmm.
2: And we don't give them grace. You know, we're not always good at giving, you know, our peer adults grace either. Mm -hmm. But if you think about it, um, let's say you and I were, I don't know, we're getting ready to go have lunch somewhere. We have a reservation Mm -hmm. and if we don't get there within 10 minutes of our reservation time, we're going to lose our reservation. So if, you and I are hanging out in the living room and it's time to go and you're not quite ready to go. I'm going to be like, hey, Zach, FYI, remember, Mm -hmm. we have to be at that place by 1140 or we lose our reservation, we can't go today. Mm -hmm. So, you know, can we get ready? (laughs) Like, or do we need to cancel it? We would talk to each other that way. If your kid hasn't put his shoes on yet, what people do is like, damn it, Tommy, put your shoes on. Mm -hmm. That's how we talk to little kids. We'll talk to a four-year-old that way. Damn it, Tommy, put your shoes on. And that's not cool. But if you say, you know, so, there's an age where you can't really reason.
3: <laughs>
2: They're really, I mean, I don't have kids, but I know there's like reasoning skills grow as you get older. Mm-hmm. But I see people, you know, an eight-year-old can understand, Tommy, if you don't put your shoes on, I'm going to be late dropping you off I'm going to be late to work and I could get in trouble with my boss. Mm-hmm. Any kid that goes to school knows what in trouble means. Yeah. So, you know, when you don't put your shoes on, then we're late and then I get in trouble with my boss mm-hmm. and I could lose my job, which means you can't do soccer. Now, you don't want to like guilt them too far.
3: Right.
2: But there's a big difference between damn it, Tommy, put on your shoes and Tommy, I don't want to get yelled at by my boss. Mm-hmm. <laughs> please, please. Can we please get a move on? So
3: that's true. Yeah.
2: Anyway, I hope that helps somebody because I feel like ever since I learned that I'm trying to use it more and I'm actually training that whole team next week on that same framework so that everyone can talk the same language.
1: That's good. Yeah. Communication is so key and just finding, just having a, 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 level playing field to do it um and especially like in the workplace too where like i say like i think a lot of us have some some type of i don't know where it came from fear about doing that or just like yeah um of just being straight or asking you know taking care of ourselves in those contexts and and putting our putting our needs out there and like just not allowing ourselves to just be doormatted and just kind of be like well just because i'm in a subservient role to the person below me then like I can't
2: yeah I can't can't talk to them yeah you know yeah yeah. you can't say what you want so I I mentioned to you before we started recording that during so around that six month mark of the pandemic um I really was struggling a lot last fall it was very difficult it was very interesting I've read several articles about through various crises like wars and other pandemics and stuff, six months is when everybody kind of collectively loses their mind Mm -hmm. or becomes more depressed and more fatigued and everything. Well, during that point, I actually finally said, I think therapy's in order. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It had been many years since I had gotten a therapist. Mm -hmm. And I found this wonderful guy who is probably one of the smartest humans I've ever met in my life. He has two PhDs, one in counseling psychology, one in environmental medicine. And he uses a lot of techniques that are not necessarily in vogue. You know, right now, therapists our age and younger, mm-hmm. they're all doing cognitive behavioral therapy, which has its place.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: But my, my therapist, Dr. Hal Dibner, does some other stuff mm-hmm. that I'd never even heard of before that was you know, more popular a few decades ago. And I learned in that process that I had developed a fundamental belief at a very young day, age that my needs weren't important. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that I just wasn't quite gonna belong anywhere anyway. And so I think some of this stuff is programmed very young.
3: For sure.
2: Um, for me, the, the your needs aren't important I have a very crystal clear memory when I was in kindergarten. Mm-hmm. I'm left-handed.
3: Yep.
1: Me too. Are you left-handed? I am. Mm-hmm.
2: Okay. How old are you? 42. Okay. So you're about the same era as me. I'm 46. Mm-hmm. I went to kindergarten in 1980 mm-hmm. and all they had was right-handed scissors. And I fully know how to do this cutting thing. I learned that at home and in Sunday school. I'm reading at a first grade level. Like, really, why am I in kindergarten? Who the hell knows? Like, but I was. And I just wouldn't cut. That was my way of dealing with the problem. I was like, I'm not gonna do that. (laughs) I don't have anything to cut with. That was my attitude. Like, you know, today in the workplace, we would say, I haven't been given the tools to set me up for success to do my job. As far as I knew, I can't do that. And the response, was that I was guided that I had to relearn how to cut. Not that there should be a $2 pair of left-handed scissors purchased for the classroom, but that I needed to relearn how to cut. And so from a very young age, that teaches me, there's something weird about you Mm -hmm. and your needs aren't important Mm -hmm. and no one's gonna listen. When you need something so it comes early it comes mm-hmm. really early so and it re, it's very expensive to fix
1: yeah no that that's a that's a perfect thing about like and this is what i tell my kids all the time i was like you got to be really careful about like and this goes into the programs i've been into um the stories that we create and the things that happen the meaning that we give things through the experiences that we have that we you didn't consciously choose to give it that meaning, right? It was a piece of data. It happened. Like you had that experience. Somehow, some way it get, developed that meaning for you. And you didn't oh. You didn't consciously necessarily sit down and choose that though.
2: Oh, you're going to love this, Zach. Huh. I did not realize until the tender age of 45, that that's actually the belief that that um solidified in me. That's what's so messed up, right? Because you know how I used to tell that story? Hmm. I used to tell that story as evidence of my resilience and ability to adapt.
3: Uh, I thought, yes,
2: that learning how to cut at five years old with the wrong hand, that was proof that from a very young age, I'm willing, I'm resilient. I'm able to adapt. And it turns out, actually, that's not true. And the, like the woman that was my teacher, the Mrs. Hoffman, she wasn't married. She never married. Miss Hoffman was like an institution in our town. She taught kindergarten for 50 freaking years. She had my father, my uncle, every single one of like my siblings and cousins, except for one. Wow. And like, this was, the lady and we grew up in a small town so everyone knew miss Hoffman and so but she was the teacher Mm -hmm. when this was going on Mm -hmm. so I grew up thinking I you know I had the the most prominent kindergarten teacher and like I did this and she loved me in class and I did well and really I was a complete pain in the ass because all I wanted to do was talk because I already knew how to read Mm -hmm. And she did what my therapist refers to. She's like, he's like, you were victimized. And he, you know, he's not one to throw around the term victimized. But he's Mm -hmm. like, you were, you were victimized in this way. Nobody was malicious about it. But Mm -hmm. you didn't have someone looking out for your needs. And you're five. So you don't know (laughs) Mm that you get Mm -hmm. to have needs. So it's early yeah Literally. no yeah
1: that's that's definitely and that's one of the things that like um i think is powerful once we become old enough to realize that like our subconscious mind records everything and that we didn't the beliefs that we have and the stories that we made and the interpretations that we gave our experiences we didn't consciously choose those like we don't sit down you know? and consciously sit down and be like oh that means this, you know, is, is the experience happens, and then like we attach a meaning yeah. to it, and then it turns into a belief, and then that becomes our reality, and it happens on the fly, and like, yes, you know, and yeah. so and so, it isn't until we're able to like get old enough to like reflect and do the inner work to be like, to like dig into that and be like, holy yeah. shit,
0: I've been living like this like my whole
1: life, and
2: like, that what? that
1: that one thing yeah. like. Sprouted this whole tree of bullshit, and
2: yes, and it's like, it's like, sure, it's like, sure. It's like Are you fuck, kidding man, me? yeah, Are you kidding me, really? So, so I've not. I'm a person <laughs> that I've never been much of a crier, mm-hmm. especially not as an adult. Like when my dad died, I and my dad and I were very close. I cried like one time mm. because he was 72 years old and he'd not been in great health for a while and all that kind of stuff. And the, when I was I'm widowed, my husband died, cried a lot for that. That was a big deal. Cause that's like, you lost your person and you lost every vision of like the rest right. of your life. Um, that, that was the thing. But like when my grandma died, when I was in high school, don't remember crying. When my grandpa died in college, don't remember crying. Like I'm just not a crier. Mm-hmm. And, um, a lot of it has to do with some people just aren't that way. And a lot of it has to do with, I'd never really learned how to process and access emotion. And so now I'm learning that in my Mm forties. And I had this moment a couple of weeks ago where I absolutely fell apart. Like Mm -hmm. I was already feeling kind of low. I'd been really sick, et cetera. I thought I had COVID, I didn't have COVID, thank goodness. But I ran myself ragged, had a bunch of personal stuff go on. Mm-hmm. You and I had to reschedule this podcast because of it. And this one day I read an email or a text from my very best friend since second grade. And I read it wrong. She was trying to be supportive. And I read it like, all of your problems are your fault. Everything is terrible because of you. You know, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Burst into tears, cried for an hour and a half. Had a two o'clock meeting. So I shut it off at one fifty-eight, like we do whenever we've got to get stuff done <laughs> And then I was a basket case again later. And I talked to my friend, Kelly, that took me to the rock shop for the first time since I'm new Wu. And I told, I was crying again by the time I got a hold of Kelly. And I was like, I've wasted my life. My whole life is ruined. It's wasted. I wasted 40 years feeling like this. And she said, stop. This is the work of being a human. So all this messy crap that you're figuring out and you're crying or you're like all of that, I'm here for it. And it's the work of being a human. Mm -hmm. So if you've got to fall apart, like some tacos for a minute to figure out how to take control of yourself, whether it's your kid's relationship, your work relationship, whatever, Mm -hmm. you know, tacos fall apart, but we love them. Mm -hmm. There's a whole day of the calendar week dedicated to tacos. Yeah.
3: So we can That's go with true.
2: it. I love talking to you. I didn't know we were going to go these places. It <laughs>
1: no, It was great. Yeah. Was
2: fantastic.
1: So I appreciate it. Well, I guess, um, I guess for the sake of time, we could wrap it up, but I want to give you the opportunity to let people know where they can find you too. I know you okay. have some links that I'll post, but I'd like to give my Absolutely. guests the to speak to that. So
2: Absolutely. So if you've heard any of this and you resonate with any form of Oh, my gosh, my career is not right. And I would love some support in figuring that out. I have a couple of resources for you. First is I have a Facebook community. I call it the career boss crew um, because we're all trying to be the boss of our career.
3: Mm
2: -hmm. And if if you're the boss of your career, you can be the boss of your life. Fun fact. That's why you need to be the boss of your career. So you can go to com and that will just direct you over into my Facebook group and you can answer a couple of questions and join. I also have some free resources available at dianateaches.com. Right now, there's a uh, what not to put on your resume freebie. I'm planning to put some stuff out later in the fall. Like, who knows? I'm going to turn that into like a page with several things on it, I think. But you can go grab a free meet, freebie and join my email list as well from there, and then you can also find me on LinkedIn. And you do you do do you do show notes for your? Uh, yeah, I do. Uh-huh. Like links and stuff. So mm-hmm. I'll give you yep. my LinkedIn as well, so Perfect. people can have a couple ways to grab me. Sounds good. So awesome.
1: Awesome. Well, good thanks, time. Diana. It has been a great conversation. I enjoyed it a lot. So thank
0: yes,
2: you. Yes, thanks a ton. I appreciate it.
1: Anytime.
0: All right. That wraps up today's episode of The Real Zach Olinger. Thanks again for listening. If you happen to find this episode insightful or valuable, I invite you to pass it along to somebody else because chances are, if you found it valuable, they will too.
1: If you're on Instagram, you can find me at The Real Zach Olinger. Until next time, everybody. Thanks for listening.